Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is cold chain basics with my friend Andy Barr. How's it going, Andy? Doing great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for the intro. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about this topic. So, Andy, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, my name is Andy Barr, founder of Barr Transportation. We started our brokerage about three years ago. We're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are big in the reefer space, a lot of food and beverage. About 90% of what we do, service USA and Canada, 90% full truckload, do a little bit of dry LTL. But yeah, really big on that food and beverage space and really excited to be here today. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Andy, before we get into the topic today, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started bar transportation. Yeah, absolutely. So, went to Miami, Ohio for undergrad, you know, a home of Ben Roethlisberger. Where'd you grow up? Oh, oh, Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, grew up in Dayton. Did you play ball or anything in school? I was a walk-on at Miami of Ohio for football. And my junior year, we created a club team, which is still in existence today. Uh, very uh, happy about that. And always rooted on the Bengals. Give a quick shout-out to them. They are going to the Super Bowl this year. So That's an exciting story. I was just saying to somebody uh, the other day at a football party, I said, I'm excited to see teams like Cincinnati go because I always feel like the big markets like L.A. or New York, I always feel like they don't care as much. I'm sure they do. If you're a fan, you're a fan. But for c- cities like Cincinnati, you're like, God darn, we don't have a lot of the glitz and glam. I'm, I'm in Detroit, so I can say this. Oh, yeah. It, it matters a lot when we have a, a big, when the Red Wings were killing it, when the Pistons were winning, when the Tigers won. Of course, you didn't notice I didn't say the Lions. When we had those winning years, it means everything to a city like this. So I know it means a lot to Cincy. Absolutely. I haven't, I haven't experienced a great season. I've experienced playoff seasons with Cincinnati, but I've never experienced a Super Bowl, right? So very excited that uh, they're going there. See, see us, I'm a Detroiter, so we're torn because Matt Stafford's kind of our guy. Just like Tom Brady was kind of our guy. Now he's gone. <laughs> no, yeah. Matt Stafford in L.A., he's kind of a uh, half Detroiter in our mind. That's the sick, that's the sick part of being a Lions fan. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I went to Miami, Ohio, and uh, then I did a master's at Northwestern, had the opportunity to work with Pat Fitzgerald and the Northwestern Wildcats for two seasons. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Coach Fitz, shout out to the Cats, the, the Wildcats, awesome program there. And, and Fitz is great because he played there, National Defensive Player of the Year there, just just perfect fit, and he's a real nice guy too. I am I'm a huge Michigan Wolverine fan, but I love that I love the tradition that Northwestern's built over the last 25 years or so. And they, you know, it's it, I read a book uh, John Bacon wrote. He's a Michigan guy, but he w- he wrote a lot about Northwestern. Really, is uh, student athletes. Those are those are scholars there. Those are that's the way you want to do it. And you know, I, I I think that college football players are graduating at higher rates than the average student because they don't have the financial issues usually but they're doing it right there and I, I, I by the way i know a lot of schools do it right but 
we always hear about teams doing it wrong. <laughs> right. Let's get some positive press out there, right? So, like, you know, you know, Stanford, Northwestern, Michigan, the Ivy League schools, those, you can't just be a good football player. You have to actually be a student athlete, right? So want to make sure that, that you know, you're, you're getting both sides of that equation and very happy for, for the Cats. So Yeah, very nice, very nice. So give us some career highlights. What was your first gig out of school? First gig out of school, I – let's see. I actually – so – First gig out of school, I interned with the Indianapolis Colts for a operations training camp program, did that for a month. And then I went to Kansas City with the Chiefs, did a three to four month ticket sales internship with the Chiefs. And then I found myself to, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, then, then found Coach Fitz and finally settled down in uh, logistics after working sports for about four years and uh, worked for a brokerage for four years. Really learned, cut my teeth, learned the business. Uh, after four years, left the business. And then Bar Transportation has been in existence basically three years. So, you know, there is a, yeah, then I got back into it. So that's my, uh, my circle from sports to back into logistics. Yeah, you always think you can leave leave logistics, but it keeps dragging your back in. <laughs> it's weird. It's like you miss the, the the excitement, the pressure, the, the you know, pressure is a privilege, as they say. And, and it, it draws you in. You're absolutely right. So you started three years ago. What what drove you to start Bar Transportation? So, great question. So I, I always wanted to own my own business. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? And I was fortunate enough to be working for a small cleaning company in Charlotte, North Carolina. And when I say small, four people in the office. And the owner was like, you know what, Andy? You know, give it a shot. And he, he let me start the company while working for the cleaning company. So I had an eight-month runway. So... I mean, his name's Mario Mendegana, Elite Touch Cleaning, Charlotte, North Carolina. Look him up if you need your office clean. <laughs> but essentially, great guy. And so he he allowed me, right, to do that. And why why logistics? Well, obviously I had the experience and some context there, but really I knew it. It's more you know sexy to go start a, a coffee shop or something, but but I knew transportation, right? So I felt like start with what you know. And then go from there. So that's that's why logistics and the startup cost wasn't that much. It was more of just get organized. You know, the paperwork takes four or five months because you got to, you know, federal regulations, get your bond insurance. So it, that's that's why. And and very thankful to, to Mark. Yep. So so today we want to talk about the cold chain basics. And um, when when we were talking the other day on the phone, we kind of came up, uh, you know, we were talking about cold chain and the importance of it. And what's also kind of crazy about it is we have this really high bar when it comes to cold chain. And I don't think if you're not doing it on a regular basis, I, my sense is people who aren't doing it always underestimate how difficult it is. And I think the bar continues to rise on this stuff. Uh, we have new technologies. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think it's increasingly important to, to be able to communicate what are these cold chain, what is the cold chain for one? The first thing we want to talk about is Food Safety Modernization Act. It comes up every once in a while on the podcast, but tell us a little bit about what is that Food Safety Modernization Act and why we need to care about it. And by the way, sometimes you hear people say, call it FISMA or FFs, FSMA, that none of this rolls off your tongue. <laughs> but So what, what, what is the FS, FSMA and what, why do we need to concern ourselves with it? Absolutely. So the FSMA is basically FDA policy that says your your food needs to be protected, right? The food companies that produce and manufacture your food, right, need to have a policy and plan in place and accountability in place 
to make sure they're doing everything they can, checks and balances to keep your food safe. I mean, that's simple. From A to B, you know, it really applies to any refrigerated food, bulk transport, food that's not contained in a container, like maybe you have avocados in a box. Uh, strawberries. Open, yeah. yeah, strawberries, uh, uh, watermelon bins, you know, that's that's basically what the policy is. And, and it's basically, you know, FDA policy saying, you know, you guys must abide by these uh, by this policy to you know, general safety of the public. Right. And and I think this this is an FDA policy, as you mentioned, Food, Food and Drug Administration. This was signed into law. Uh, let's see. By President Obama, and then there's been this long ramp up, and there was I think the FDA is like seventy, seventy five years old. This was the first major revamping of it, and and it kind of captured trucking into it because in the past it was we had this sanitary, the sanitary freight transportation act or whatever it was, and it it said the truck has to be clean, right? And it says this shouldn't have leak, shouldn't be leaking, it should be the right temperature. It said some of those things. This is much more encompassing, and I think what it what it really drives in my mind is you have to have this kind of end to end end to end visibility, and again, much overused word, but end to end visibility of our food and what the temperature is. And so, the Food Safety Modernization Act really cares a lot about the cold chain. So we'll get into what the cold chain is in a minute. But bulk transportation, you mentioned that that mm-hmm. is any time when I have the container that I'm moving. The, so it could be liquids or a lot of bulk transportation when you see it in a tanker mm-hmm. the liquid is actually touching the, the the side of the the inside of the tanker that's considered bulk there's a high risk of contamination crazy people can put stuff into uh, a tanker you know poison we're making that really hard by seal using seals and stuff but that that is where you have a high risk of tampering right. when we talk about s- strawberries or meats or anything else if that gets out of temperature control we're in trouble really quickly. And I think another thing we always have to worry about is just pests, whether it's you know rodents or insects. So we I would say we're protecting against temperature, temperature uh, being the wrong temperature. Also worried about bad people, crazy people who are trying to tamper with the food and then those pests. And so so this the Food Safety Modernization Act is super important and and it kind of forces us to have that farm to table. Absolutely. Absolutely spotless. And, you know, we all watch TV and you see that when they talk of chain of custody in the cop shows, this same thing from the time this is the foods picked in the fields to the time it gets on a table, we have to know where that food's been. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you it's great to make a sale. Right. But the salespeople should actually be heavily invested in this because guess what happens if your food arrives spoiled? Guess what? You don't have a sale anymore. Right. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it's just those. It's just part of the entire process that needs to be focused on. That honestly is not uh, enough. Right. Yep. So, Andy, tell us what is the cold chain? Where does it start? Where does it, what is it? What does it encompass? Definitely. So the the cold chain is basically the supply chain, a temperature controlled supply chain from A to B, A to Z. It's it's really from the time it's picked to the time it arrives at the receiver's dock. And, and really, not just the dock, but your plate right? Uh, as, a, as a consumer. So whether it's food, pharmaceuticals, a lot of pharmaceuticals are refrigerated. A lot of people don't really know that. Chemicals are refrigerated. And, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just to reduce spoilage and loss and hazards, right? 
to increase your food safety. And, you know, it's not just about the safety too, but also you look at COVID and the crazy supply and demand going on. This helps level out that supply and demand because if you've got five containers that just got rejected because of spoilage, you now have a five container deficit. Right. So, right. so you know, it's it's that whole A to Z process. Yep. So the cold chain, you know, getting back to the the A to Z. So you mentioned coming from the fields. When we're prepping, we talked a little bit about this. Is you know, when, when somebody picks a vegetable or fruit outside, let's just say it's it could be ninety degrees out, they have to pre cool that. So we don't think too much about that. That, but there are pre cooling facilities. So, so the farmers and the food producers, they have to sometimes with produce, they have to pre cool it. And I know there's a whole science to that. We won't. We're skimming across the surface today, Andy. But that's an important part of that with, that we don't think about. What we always think about is refrigerated storage. But if right. you're the farmer or that creates this, you pulled that out of the ground. It's important that it goes from 90 to whatever the proper temperature is. Let's just say it's 50. I don't know what it is, but uh, that somebody has to cool that down in a way that it doesn't turn into mush. <laughs> exactly. You know, people might be a novice or, or something might think, okay, I've got a refrigerated truck coming to pick up my produce. As long as that truck's at 40 degrees, I can put my 90 degree squash in that truck and be good to go, no problem. No, you need to pick that produce and then cool it down right in your coolers because a truck isn't meant to cool down product. A truck is meant to maintain a temperature. Right. Well, and plus you put a whole bunch of produce onto it. You know, if it's 90 degrees, you put it into the truck, it's going to heat up the truck. <laughs> so Exactly. Potentially, exactly. potentially. So, so we have... When we talk about that cold chain, it starts with the pre-cooling, goes to some sort of refrigerated storage. That's where most of us are used to picking stuff up. And then we have that refrigerated transport, which, by the way, we all know the bar is getting higher on that. We'll get to that in just a second. But that process, again, chain of custody from the field through the pre-cooling through through to the the storage, refrigerated storage, whatever that looks like, and then onto the truck. And we, again, have to make sure that there's no time when it's sitting on a dock where maybe bugs got on it or where rodents got. No one likes to think about this. But also that the sun wasn't beating down on it, taking it out of temperature range. So we have to have this mentality of end-to-end safety and visibility. You know, a lot of customers will want to ship something refrigerated. A lot of customers will want to ship something frozen. A lot of customers will say, you know what, I've got a customer in the Midwest. Let's say it's Florida to the Midwest. And I also got a customer in Atlanta. The Atlanta is frozen. The Midwest is chilled. I'm thinking, why don't we just, you know, find a way to put both frozen and fresh on the truck? And you can do that. But you better make sure that there's a bulkhead in place. You better make sure that the carrier knows what they're doing because it's, you know, we'll get into transportation later. But it's not as easy as we'll just combine them and go. Right, right. So we talked about the facilities, which is super important, but increasingly we need to worry about information flow because the Food Safety Modernization Act, in addition to, I mean, it's it's a government act. And by the way, there is a ton of good information on Food Safety Modernization Act. I'll put those web, I'll put some of those websites in the uh, show notes. But the information is just as important as the load in this case because the, you have to be able to prove this chain of custody. You also have to kind of prove that we stayed at the right temperature, and also. In addition to that, you have to be so if somebody's communicating with you, Andy, they they can't just say, Yeah, it's, it's supposed to stay cool, Andy. Uh no, I'm sure they don't. 
but they give you a temperature range. And I think that all has to be documented a few places before we get on with the uh, moving it. So if you do one load with a customer, let's say it's a load of onions, they wanted to be at 45, 55 degrees, depending on the time of year, you do the one load, sure, that first load, they're going to tell you the temperature, you know, hopefully the weight, the number of pallets. But when you're doing that exact same load, say Washington to Chicago, right? The second or third time, they're just going to be like, hey, I got a Washington for, for Wednesday. Do you want it? And then let's say it's through email communication. They're not going to specifically say, yes, it's 45 degrees. You know what I mean? So you have to just take that extra step. It may be a little annoying to the customer, but it's, it's, I'd rather have a, a customer that knows we're detail oriented, right? Right. That, that is, you know, rather than, oh, well, I don't know. I, I just ran at the same temperature that you said last time. Well, these are different onions. These are white or yellow onions, right? Right. Yep. Communication is the game changer in our biz. So in addition to that information flow, that has to be super, super tight. And one of the other things that Food Safety Modernization Act kind of put up very high bar on the shippers. And the food safety, there has to be a, we'll get into the Food food Safety Modernization Act, require shippers to have a, a food safety plan. We'll get to that in a minute. But one of the things they say is you have to be able to prove that this happened the way we wanted it to happen. And I think one of the things we're seeing now is the the technology, the sensing technologies. So when we were prepping, we we're talking a little bit about Tive. Uh, they were on the podcast not so long. Tive has got a, a tracker that they put on right in the, with the food, you know, in the, on the pallet. And that, so somebody could say, well, the truck stayed that temperature. Well, I want to know, I want to know the entire journey that my stuff stayed the right temperature, regardless of the truck. I want to know what's going on with my track. Not only, I mean, Tive gives you geographic information, but it also gives you the the temperature and, and the humidity. So with Tive, you got actual, you can get that real-time sensing. And what's cool about it is, and I'm sure there's other trackers. I just had the Tive guys on though. And I, I know, I know a lot of people are using it. It is, it'll tell you when you're, so if you're, that truck is losing the temperature or for whatever reason, it's heating up too high. It'll tell you before it's ruined. Cause I don't want, I don't want Andy to call and go, Hey Joe, I guess you're your strawberries went to got warm. Sorry about that. I and nor do you want that either. You want proactive. So I think what's also uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act said I can't just rely on the old methods. They want us to have this technology. So I think you're going to see more and more companies using uh, sensors that they can say, "Hey, I can track this from beginning to end." By the way, people who have big servers and stuff—that's how they—that's how they track stuff all the way from China to the end destination because it'll tell you did this ever get dropped did this ever hit some horrible vibrations was the humidity humidity too high that's the kind of thing that i think a lot of shippers especially as stuff gets very expensive uh to ship i want to know if i paid eight grand for that load i want to know i'll spend a little extra money to know that it was done right absolutely and you know you want to have that that uh especially if it's like a fragile load if it's a fresh load you want to make sure that you're you're monitoring those those temperatures but you also want to have the communication with the truck because if you see it dropping or rising right in a in a temperature that's you know not favorable you know you want to have a, a direct line right and don't tell me later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but and but not only a direct line, but maybe a, a little understanding, right? Because we had a situation come up where the reefer unit in the trailer had iced over. So it's just normal process. You put the defrost on, and then it gets cool again, right? 
So you have to kind of know the general, what, what to expect, right, in transit. And the trackers are extremely helpful. Yep. Trackers are important, and I know trucks are getting getting better and better at this. And and the more, again, I think what the whole the whole movement here is: let's get out of the reactive mode and get in proactive mode. And I tell this story because I heard it a few years back when I was doing a lot of training for people with this Food Safety Modernization Act. And a food company told me this: uh, that a trucking company owned by a food company told me this. They said we had a whole bunch of frozen stuff, $70,000 worth. It was supposed to deliver on a Friday. It doesn't. So it goes back to the terminal and somebody says, make sure this stays cold all weekend long. Sunday night, the guys come in and realize, hey, this thought out. This wasn't this wasn't hooked up. $70,000. Well, Andy, just imagine if it's you and I, do you want to, we're there and the, the brain trust says, hey, do you want to just plug this in and hope nobody notices? We might do that because I don't want to tell the boss. You don't want to tell the boss. So we plug it back in. It's frozen or whatever the right temperature is before it delivers. And no, none the wiser, except maybe people are, maybe the product is damaged. Maybe we're going to injure people. Maybe we're going to make people sick because we didn't want to tell the boss because we're going to lose our job. And that's the kind of thing. It would have been a lot better if I had a proactive, you know, I get a, I get a beep on the phone that says, get in here because uh this right. gets but you're, too only, you're only gonna get you're only gonna get that beep if you invest in the trackers and the reality is is that i would definitely say the majority do not have the trackers i mean maybe there's a minority the bar is rising that's the whole exactly thing. exactly <laughs> and and the the customers who who want the most reliable transportation to protect their own product right right you have to invest i'll throw another scenario in there you know, we use a lot of, you know, visibility is such an important part of our business, but you, you hear people say, yeah, that truck is right here. Or I'm tracking, I'm tracking, Andy's the driver and I'm tracking Andy. And I go, is, is my, are my pallets on Andy's truck? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Are you sure they're not back? Because if I yeah, I have a tracker on the pallet, I can say, no, Andy drove off without my, all my pallets. Have them turned back. And again, this this is this again speaks to the bar getting higher and higher. Anyway, let's switch gears. So we talked about what the cold chain is, and again, that's the pre-cooling, the storage, it's the transport that we're all so familiar with, but it's also the the handoffs being perfect, it's the information flow being perfect. Absolutely. And, and it's moving more and more towards technology that gives me real-time information, sensing information that allows us to be proactive rather than have those unfortunate conversations after the fact. So, so let's talk a little bit about if I want to have, uh, you know, again, the Food Safety Modernization Act is that and the cold chain overlap a lot. Um, the Food Safety Modernization Act is required for companies that move, that make and deliver certain foods. So talk about what is the process for getting a Food Safety Modernization Act. I know we we're gonna have to skim across the surface. We don't have all day, but um, talk about some of the some of those high level what the plan entails. Yeah, so so basically, you make a plan, right? You, you develop some SOPs, and you, you develop develop a plan. And before you can even develop a plan, you have to have a culture that cares about the plan, because you can have the best plan out there. We can have the best diet, but if we don't follow the diet, it's not gonna work, right? So I'm familiar so, with that. <laughs> You're not allowed, Johnny. I'm still struggling that here. So, so you know, it's it's okay. Culture buy-in, but how do you do that? It's easy to say, but how do you do? So, get input. Get input from everybody. Not only 
the C-suite, but also the ground level, you know, everyone, right? And don't make it a permanent, hey, this is it, go do it. Make it, this is a living document. We're going to, we're going to reassess every quarter, right? And, and obviously the, the, the most important thing is, is monitoring and having smart, right? Smart, you've heard of smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely. Make sure these are monthly smart milestones. So you know, okay, this is the plan, but are we hitting the plan? Are we, are we doing it? And, and really, I mean, this is up to each company, right? But if you really want to have a very efficient plan, you need to have both rewards and punishments. So, you know, it's, it's how, how in depth you want to go, but that's on the high level what you want. And I think also, you know, when you talk about that Food Safety Monitoration Act, they said you have to have a food safety plan. And again, I think the onus is not going to be on the on the transportation people, which are normally listening. The onus is on the shipper, usually. And they have to walk the process from the very beginning to the very end. And in their not only in their own in their own four walls, but also the incoming food that they might have coming in, the ingredients. And you have to walk that and as you're walking that process, you have to say, what potentially could go wrong in any one of these steps? So it could be a man-made or a man problem, right? Where I'm afraid somebody's not going to do the job. It could be somebody trying to contaminate the food, tamper with it. It could be, hey, this is an this is an area where it could be attacked by bugs, right? Roads, sure. whatever. You you want to go through every single step. And and boy, by the way, when you start walking these steps. I've done this in automotive in the production line. It's amazing how many places you find risks and hazards because it all begins with the Food Safety Modernization Act is finding every potential risk. And the only, you said it already, Andy, the only way to do that is to have a culture that is really focused on that. And then you got to get everybody involved. This isn't something the boss creates or an engineer creates in the office. You have to go to the line and say, how did this work, Right. Is, is there a potential where you go, yeah, it looks like uh, condensation over here. It's dripping onto the food. Okay, that's a risk. What are we going to do not only to solve that, but then monitor that over time? So it's always identify, then it's going to be mitigate or eliminate, and then monitor. And the Food Safety Modernization Act is, doesn't tell you how to do this, obviously, but it does say you need to, best you can to automate and to monitor because ideally you take people out of that. Cause if you give Andy and Joe that job, we're going to be sick one day and our replacement might not do it the same way, or we're going to be uh, not paying attention one day. So you want to take the human error out of it, <laughs> but it really, exactly. the things we need to worry about is that identifying the risk, identifying the hazard, eliminating it, mitigating right. it to the best of our ability. And then I have to have a monitoring process where I can say, I'm on top of this and I got to get better. You mentioned quarterly reviews, but it's got to be continuous improvement every day. And that's not going to happen. The guy sitting in the cubicle or the boss in the C-suite got to be a guy on the line. It's got to be the potentially drivers and dock guys who say, I saw a potential problem. How are we going to mitigate this? And and how do you get people to care? You, You tie it to their compensation. Be like, you know what, you know, no, no safety errors or, you know, whatever the X safety error is for the, for the month, you know, everyone gets a, a 2% increase for the month or wh- whatever it is. Just, not, it doesn't have to be, you know, something to break the bank, but just something to be like, Hey, you know, this is a reward. Thanks for doing a good job. We really care about it. And, uh, 
The last thing is just documentation, right? You can drive yourself literally into insanity as far as food safety and risk, because there's risk in everything we do, but, you know, be logical about it and, and, and hit the, the major lines, like the, obviously the employees checking in, the food manufacturing line, how long products left out on docks before it starts to thaw, you know, just, just little things here and there. Yep. So if you're a shipper, if you're a food producer, you're farming, they, 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 they pretty much are on top of that. I think most of the people listening to this podcast are, are on the logistics and transportation side. I think it's important for us to understand our role in it. So talk a little bit about what's required as a somebody moving reefers. So you're not responsible necessarily for creating a plan, but you have your own processes in place that ensure food safety. So what are some of those? Absolutely. So there's a lot, but, but, but the, the main Give us the highlights. <laughs> okay. So just starting out from the beginning, right? Making sure the driver does a PTI, right? A pre-trip inspection, making sure the truck is running well before he starts to, you know, head towards the pickup. And it's not uncommon to drive a hundred, 150 miles to pick up the load, right? So making sure we do the PTI, make sure the hours of service are enough that we're not going to miss the pickup. We're going to pick up, we're going to have to have the load sit and, you know, product might be rejected because the, the food dates aren't right. Pre-cooling, of course, you want to pre-cool the truck to the, the, uh, the specified temperature. You want to make sure every broker is different, but I would say 95% of the brokers out there, right? And, you know, carriers run it continuous. It's a lot cheaper to run it cycling, right? But a lot of shippers will require it. A lot of brokers require it to run the reefer continuous. When you're hauling ice cream in the middle of Florida in the middle of the summer, you're probably not going to want to do that, but you probably do want to do that, right? It's going to be more expensive, but it's you don't want to have a $100,000 claim on your hands either. Right. You want to, like I said, so continuous, pre-cool, show up, have a, I mean, basics, have some two load bars, right? Or, or more to make sure the product is tight. It's, you know... No, I get it. Okay. You don't always get to actually see the loading of the product, you know, especially with COVID, you know, you, sometimes you just, you get a door and you back up and you're not allowed on the dock. Right. But what you can do is once you're loaded, before you shut those doors, take two seconds and look, are you happy with the way the pallets are positioned? Right. Do you think there's any risk of product shifting and, and getting damaged? Because you know, we don't want to, you know, during the, if there's a problem, it's easy to point fingers and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, it's just, we don't want to, no one wants problems. So you mentioned a lot there. So one of the things you mentioned is load bars. And again, I think that's an important part for those of you who have not worked with them. By the way, I always heard load bars, load bars. And I know sometimes people use different terms for them, but they're basically that allows you to get the, the double stack. So rather than stacking pallets one on top of another, it might be like a shelf that you're able to put into the truck and stack stuff. I shouldn't say stack. Basically you have shelves within the trucks and it lets you get a lot more in the truck. I think one of the other things, um, and we talked about a little bit when we were prepping, we have to make sure these trucks are clean. So they have to have some sort of washout process. And I think this is a tricky one, if you ask me, because I know I talked to a trucking company a few years back, and they said, we go out and we certify the the wash facilities that we can use. So they moved a lot of food in, but that's a huge, that's a huge carrier. So they say, we'll go and we'll make sure that this wash facility meets our standards. But I could, I could follow that process and maybe I still find bacteria or chem, harmful chemicals 
So I think at some point, I'm, I'm, this is just me talking, and again, I'm I'm better at talking than doing sometimes. But I, my sense is, you, at some point, people are going to come up with a standard for checking that, where it may be just a touch screen where you say, "This is an acceptable level of chemicals." It's, maybe it's going to be trace amounts because I I want that if I'm putting strawberries or I'm putting that produce in there, I want to make sure that that's not a dirty truck. Right, right, and you know, shippers can have a, a temp gun, and they can they can temp the, the the trailer when you when you bump the dock. So it's not, in my opinion, either to be a, to be out of this world of yeah, some someday down the road they can actually have some sort of device that will check the, the the sanitary state of the trailer. Right, it's more expensive to do a washout before a load. It takes time, but. You know, if you've got a beef load and you're going to go pick up a fish load, you probably want to get that washed out. If you're picking up a beef load and then you finish that beef load and then you are picking up a bread load, which can absorb a lot of smells, a lot of things in the air. You know, dispatchers, you guys, you guys know what you're doing. You guys know when, hey, this is a must. We must get a washout on this load where it's if it's frozen product, then it's maybe a little more lenient. So it's all balanced. Right. Yeah. You want to you want to you. You want to make the drivers happy, right? Of course, but you also want to protect you and and the shippers. Product. Yep, and I think you probably know more about this than I do. But I I know I've read the Food Safety Modernization Act a number of times, and they make you track prior loads on this stuff. Because and I don't think this is going to be a challenge with most reefer loads, but potentially you could be moving harmful, poisonous chemicals in in a truck, and then the next load something like berries, produce. And so prior load is important. And I think, you know, the large trucking companies that I've talked to said, we won't do it. You know, we, we move, we won't move. We, we treat, they treat, they treat food as a hazmat, same as they would treat a hazmat. We don't, we're not going to have that. And that's the right way to do it. I mean, honestly, you should have a washout before every food load. I mean, that would just be a great policy. But also I don't to some extent, you might hear people say, look, if, and again, I doubt this is really an issue with reefers, but if there was chemicals in there, I don't care if you wash it out, don't move food in it anymore. Either move food or move chemicals. Don't do both. <laughs> right, right. Keep oil and water. It's easy for yeah. me to spend somebody else's money while I'm sitting here on my podcast, right? So anyway, getting back to it, the, the processes that you're talking about here, Andy, are just what what you can do as the broker, as the trucking company to ensure that this is right. And again, I think most trucking companies, especially the larger ones who move food, they do have processes in place. But I think it's super important that we understand these processes and don't just assume. <laughs> so oh, I assume everybody knows what they're doing. Maybe that's not the best policy when it comes to this stuff. Right, right, right. You, you know, it's, you know, a lot of brokerages will say, we'll move anything. Right. So if you're a brokerage that moves anything, that's one way to do it. Right. But if you're a brokerage that that only does a specific niche, as they say, the riches are in the niches. Right. If you can not only market yourself as that, but actually do that because you are proactive in making sure that your drivers or carriers you're using are are getting that washout, are pre-cooling, your, your, your dispatch staff is triple checking, hey, I know we did this load 50 million times, but Mr. Customer, it is 55 degrees, yes? You know, just those little things, you're going to save yourself so much headache and, you know, it, they're basics, right? This this brokeraging and logistics is not complicated, but it's complex. So it's what we do is simple, but it's complex because of so many 
moving parts. So you just need to be aware of a lot of things. Yeah. And the bar is just much higher when it comes to uh, cold chain and the food, the moving food. So you want that air that you want that specialization. So I'm going to summarize some of this. I know we covered a lot of ground really quickly and I know we skimmed across the surface of this stuff, but I appreciate you doing that for us. So I want to summarize this and I want to get your final thoughts on it. So we talked a little bit about the food safety modernization act. And again, this is probably from what I can tell the first time that that the FDA started kind of moving into the trucking realm and saying we have purview. We didn't feel that. I don't think prior to that, I know we already were doing many of these things, but it became more important because the FDA was involved now. Uh, so we talked about the basics of the cold chain is, you know, it's, it's to reduce spoilage. It's to uh, enhance food safety. We don't want to make anybody sick. We don't want to let any madmen tamper with this. We want to make sure we don't have a whole bunch of wasted food. And um, I think the cold chain we we're talking about, we have the pre-cooling. Most of us aren't involved with any of that. Uh, we have refrigerated storage, a lot of warehousing. People obviously touch that. Uh, refrigerated transport, obviously very important as we're talking about today. But I think the information flow, we talked a little bit about that. Information flow is especially important on this. And I think technology like the Tive trackers and others, the trucking technology that lets us be proactive because nobody wants to find out the food went bad after the fact, we got to get proactive. So we talked uh, also about, you know, the shippers usually creating this, this food safety plan. And again, that is all about identifying the hazards, identifying the risks and putting something in place to mitigate or eliminate that. And ideally that's automated, (laughs) get the humans out of the process if you can. And very important that you monitor. It's not, you can't just solve the problem and go, yeah, I solved that. And then three weeks later, find out that it's no longer solved because the guy was supposed to do it, stop doing it. Ideally, if you have to check temperature, do it automatically, right? So that, that again, that's more on the food safety on the producers, but important that we know this in our business. And so again, get everybody involved in that food safety plan. Everybody, your suppliers, everybody should be involved get everybody's eyeballs because they're going to have different perspectives on where the, where the problems are. Anyway, enough of my blather final thoughts on this, Andy. (laughs) You know, absolutely. I mean, you're hitting all the right points, right? Just, just do your part essentially, right? Communicate, communicate, communicate over the basics, you know, pre-cooling, continuous temperatures, use technology, but also manual check calls. You want to, you know, have understanding that, you know what, we're in a uh, COVID, post-COVID time where it's hard to get carriers, it's hard to, you know, make appointments, you know, things are, just, things are all just congested, right? But you, you do your best, you, you, you deal with what, the, what you have, and if you do these right things, right, you'll prevent these hazards, you won't have spoiled food, you won't have loads rejected, you won't well, lose just, your job. <laughs> you won't lose your job. You won't, your, your company might, hopefully, you know, you'll reduce the the risk of your company going out of business or having a down year, you know, because here's another thing we didn't talk about is, you know, when you have a claim, right, as a broker or a carrier, depending, that can really, really hurt you, right? Oh, yeah. I know brokers who won't move food because of that. They were burned with one giant claim and they said, that's it. Done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you just, you, you, you know, I'm going to one more point. When you're dealing with food, food and beverage shippers, really be careful with your, your, your customers, right? Don't be afraid to be picky, right? Everybody wants business, but not all business is equal, right? 
you know, so if you really want to partner, right? And, and, and true shippers and true partners understand that, right? They'll give you the information you need. They'll respond in a timely fashion. But you also, obviously, we got to do our part, right? We got to make sure the drivers have the information they need and, and are doing it. Not, not just ha- the difference between having the information and actually doing it and following through. Yep. Excellent. So, Andy, before you go, tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Bar Transportation. Who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys serve? And give us a, a sense for, are you traveling yet? Are you going to the, are you going to conferences yet? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for the opportunity. So, you know, we were big in the food and beverage space. We're really excited. We're going to go to the Food Shippers of America convention coming up next month. When is that? And where is that? February 20th to the 22nd in Orlando. That's a hard sell to get us in the Midwest to go down to Orlando in February. <laughs> I, you know, I got to twist some arms. Like, you want to have some 70, 80 degree weather? <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, food and beverage, reefer freight. We do dry freight, but it's pretty much the food and beverage. We have two podcasts. We have the Food and Beverage Leaders podcast. We started both of these last year. It's got, you know, it's pretty recent, honestly. It's about 15, 16 episodes in. And then we have a Carrier Conversations podcast that we just started. Very excited about it. There's always something to talk about in transportation. And we only have like three episodes on that. But but it is out. You can find it on Apple, Android. Right. I'll put a link to the in the show notes if you give me, give me those links. And um, I think, you know, I, of course, I have to say this. I think podcasts are a great way to, to get up to speed. My sense is always the same in this business is that supply chains are massive, right? And you can be an expert in what you're doing. And then there's somebody who's upstream who's an expert in pre-cooling. And then there's an expert at retail. And I think that the challenge we all have is how do we all stay up to speed? Well, one great way is the podcasts that are out there. Freight Waves has a ton of good podcasts. And Chris Jolly has a great one on sales. And I know I, I haven't listened to yours yet, but I look forward to it. I think this is the way that we all get better. Absolutely. You know, knowledge is power as the corny phrase goes. And, and, but it's really true. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that are a a brokerage or a carrier, right? But if you actually take the time to advance in your own profession, you go to the, the, the industry conferences, you, you go to the public, you read the publications, you're going to be at that top 10, 5, 1% just because you take 10 minutes a day to read something. Yeah, right. Exactly. So what I'll do, Andy, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website, your two podcasts, and anything else you give me, I'll put a link to those in the show notes. And I do really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, such an important topic. And I don't think we talk enough about these things yeah, on the podcast. So thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Joe. True pleasure. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation today. So thanks again and hope everyone benefits. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn. 